Welcome back to the What's Your One More podcast. Today, I am joined by one of our standing co-hosts, Daniel Halverson with the Bank of England. Always brings so much knowledge to the table during our lending update, but today's a little different lending update. It's more of uh, a less of like a, hey, listen, this is a product you should look at and more about what's going on in our environment, which I think people are really going to appreciate today. And I know I appreciate your expertise. So thanks for being on the show. Yeah, I'm glad to be back. Yeah, well, you know, uh, you get such good reviews and raves online, you know, whether it's through our Instagram channel or our Facebook channel, I can't afford not to have you back on the show. So thanks for <laughs> thanks for being here. Try to keep the vibe alive. Well, you're doing it, my man. So let's talk about it here as we kick off. You know, in this lending update, one of the things you were talking about pre-show was that there's this there's this misnomer buyers and sellers are having about 21 and 2022. And I hear it all the time, but you know, I'll let you kick off the show talking about a little bit about what helping buyers win this market or win in this market really means and how to help agents with this kind of notion as well. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that that as the market has changed, we have to to adapt with it. And you know, prior to back half of 2022, the market was essentially, hey, if you want a house, you do whatever it takes mm-hmm. to get it. And now we've moved into a, a an area where we're still in a seller's market statistically, but there's more opportunity for buyers to negotiate. And in terms of how do we maximize that? Um, I think that most most buyers, if they find a property and it's listed at X, 400,000, their first notion is, okay, well, what if I can whittle the price down and get a better deal? So right now you think buyers are out there going, hey, listen, I think that's overpriced or or let me see if I can just get a deal. Yeah, and and I mean, from a negotiation standpoint, I think you always start with price, right? That's how everyone shops on everything. Correct. But the reality is if you talk to most buyers, and say, hey, what's more important to you, getting a lower monthly payment or the amount that you're going to pay for this home over the course of 30 years? I think that the resounding number of buyers are more concerned with how do I get my payment to a number that is manageable from from my budget, you know? Mm -hmm. And looking at 2021, you know, the average list of sale price was basically 100. It was 99.7. So you wanted to buy a house, you offered what it was listed for. Mm -hmm. Uh, fast forward into December of 2022, homes were selling it below 98, so about 97.7 of list price. So we picked up, you know, basically a two percent um, differential there for the buyers to be able to negotiate the price. And, and this is all situationally dependent. You know, there's there may be one home that is priced really well that's going to get multiple offers. And well, there's sell always sub markets out there, right? You know, and then there's going to be some properties that maybe there's more than that. A little over two percent uh, wiggle room there to, to to negotiate, and I think that instead of just saying, "Hey, here's your pre-approval," um, when you find a property, do your thing, and then come to us with the contract, and letting buyers decide that negotiating on price is the best thing, maybe let's propose an alternative. And we used an example for the lending update. Uh, first and foremost, this is something that actually happened because it's a you know, it's an outlier. It's a really really good deal that the buyer got. And you know, basically, home was was listed at four hundred thousand. Buyer came in, wanted to offer somewhere in the range of three seventy five as a starting point, and we just backed him up a little bit and said, okay, based on your goals, you want payments to be here. What if you offer four hundred thousand? Ask for the moon and the stars. Ask for the six percent concession, right. which was right. the max for that loan type. And this particular buyer was able to to get that, which. Side note, you, you know, you miss the shots you don't take. Don't assume that somebody won't take an offer uh, just because it, you know, you're, you're coming in at a 6% concession. Yeah, but they got that, and that 6% we used to, uh, in, in combination, do a permanent rate buy-down. Uh, 
along with the two one buy down and got the majority of their closing costs paid. So uh, the, you know, the, the lending update, if you uh, are reading along here, you know, essentially at the end of the day, they were able to get a lower payment and a lower cash to close. Right. And, and the, the third thing that, that I think that is worth consideration here is we're all of the opinion and we've, we've, we've stood on the table and said that interest rates are going to go down and we, we firmly believe that. But, you know, the flip side of the coin is maybe interest rates don't come down at least far enough for a refi opportunity for, for certain buyers, depending on when they're buying. So if you can negotiate the concession now, get the interest rate as low as possible, and put yourself in a position where maybe you don't have to refinance. Right. Um, that that's a big win, you know. And, and we're you're, you're speculating to some extent if you say I'm going to buy now and refinance to the payment that I want when interest rates come down. You know, we don't know if that's going to happen. We don't know when that's going to happen. But I think that if you're a buyer in this market right now and you're seeing, hey, maybe there's a little more opportunity to negotiate. Let's let's back up and say, how do I negotiate? most effectively in alignment with my goals. And for most people, that means payment, which mm-hmm. means can we negotiate a concession and buy the rate down and get a considerably lower payment than we could if we just reduce the price a little bit? Yeah, and I think that's a win-win. And, and the other thing we take a look at here that I took away from that conversation was that there's a lot of options. And if you want to see this actual option that you put down, just check our show notes, go to our website, onempodcast.com, click on the episode. The show notes will have this in there for you to take a look at. It's also on our YouTube channel at whatyouronemore.com with the number one. You can find these show notes in there. And uh, you know, I think it's real beneficial when you see some of the graphs of what you put together. This product can be used anywhere, what you're doing. It's yeah, this, not just here in Jacksonville. You can use this anywhere. It's this a fantastic, a- and, um, fantastic pre- presentation you put together on yeah, that. Yeah, it's not proprietary. I think that you have to look at the market right now as we move into 2023 and, and for agents and lenders alike, I mean, the people that are going to succeed are the ones that are thinking like this. And and a, one real estate agent could take a, this customer in this exact same scenario mm-hmm. and put them into something like this, which is a home run deal for them. Right. Another agent that's maybe not as familiar with what we're talking about here could take that same client and never put a deal together and, and never sell them a home because they can never make their their goals align in terms of what they want home price wise and what they want payment wise. So, you, 2023 has an opportunity to be a really really good market for people that are that are thinking at a high level. How can we use the current market dynamics to our advantage? So, uh, you know, I think that's the biggest thing I want to take away yeah. is is this is this could be the difference between selling, you know, three four five more homes this year as an agent or doing three four five more loans as a lender and not. Well, what I hear there is the skilled will thrive. The skilled will thrive in 2023. Yeah, it's the world of opportunity. And I think we'd say all the time, effort is the currency of your success as you move into 2023. Yeah. And we're, we're coming off of a market where, um, you know, you didn't necessarily need these tools to thrive. Yeah. Um, so we're coming into a market where we have to get back to how can I provide an exceptional level of service and think at a high level for my customers. Yeah, that's what I love about your thought process. You just don't look at one angle. You look at almost every angle and you're super quick to come up with all the different angles. And so it's very fluid for the uh, for the buyer and the real estate agent. You've done a wonderful job for that years over years. And uh, man, it's just, a, it's great to see what all you've done. The next thing on this lending update. Now, <clears throat> this is the one where I think we could spend a significant amount of time on. This is, this is something I see everybody in the industry asking. Doesn't matter if you're a lender. Doesn't matter if you're title. Doesn't matter if you're a real estate agent. 
there's some, there's some myths about what an assumable loan is. And I love this next section, which is the facts about assumable loans. So let's briefly talk, what is an assumable loan? Let's start with that before we get into the, the myths or the facts. An assumable, assumable loan is essentially a loan that a, a current um, seller has mm-hmm. and the, a prospective buyer, instead of going out and getting their own loan and paying off the sellers at closing. Like a traditional uh, Correct. And sales. A traditional transaction. Instead, with approval, they can simply take over the seller's existing loan. So if the seller has an existing loan, let's say 275, in this, in this assumable assumption we're talking about, the buyer technically could assume that 275. That is correct. Okay. Yes. But where the myth comes in, isn't it? And this started in the 80s, but where this really comes in is that all of a sudden you see everyone associating every kind of loan with some level of assumability because they're wanting to get that rate the current seller has. And so people are just have these misnomers about it's assumable and we're we're seeing it all over the place. And so in this next section, you do a great job of breaking that down. So let's start with the first one. Go through, there's four things you put on here. And I think everybody should know, again, agent, title, lender. This needs to be in your pocket when the word assumable comes up. Well, I, first and foremost, I think that that people need to realize that the, the large majority of loans that are originated are not assumable. Mm. So conventional loans account for uh, a large majority of the loans that are done nationwide in any market for the most part. And those loans are not assumable. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac do not have a clause that allows for assumption of those loans. And if you're talking about jumbo loans, which is a smaller subset, once again, you're talking about loans that are uh, almost certainly not going to be assumable yeah, under any circumstances. So now you're limited to a pool of essentially government loans. And um, I think it's important that that people that are listening understand if you're an agent and you have a seller that wants to advertise this, you need to be very careful in general about advertising this as an incentive to sell your home because it could be misleading in a lot of ways. First and foremost, it's not just the, uh, the fact that it is assumable, that FHA and VA say that it is assumable that will allow you to get to, to assume that loan. Essentially, the current servicer has to approve that as well. Right. So the agencies have given, uh, when I say agencies, Federal Housing Administration, Veteran Affairs, you know, they basically have pushed that down to the lenders to say, hey, you have a say in if you allow somebody to assume a loan. Yeah, a lot of people forget it's a two-step process. You have HUD saying, okay, we will allow it, which is great. HUD says they will allow a lot of things. But it's up to the servicer to also you know, cooperate or collaborate on that allowability as well. And oftentimes those two things don't happen. Correct. And you know, another big point is this may not be the majority of, of servicers, but some servicers really will only allow assumption in the case of, you know, financial hardship or you know, death or divorce or or some type of, of, you know, rare situation. They're not going to just let um, buyer who's completely unrelated to seller come in and assume that loan. So, the, the, the first place to start here is if you're a seller and this is something that you want to explore as something that maybe could be an option for a prospective sure, buyer. could be beneficial. Call your current servicer and be very direct about the circumstances under which they'll allow for assumption and get that information in writing so that you know specifically the, the circumstances under which they will even allow for an assumption to take place. Yeah. So if I hear you correctly, there's four different types of products out there. There's the conventional loan, jumbo loan, FHA, and VA. Probably not even a chance on earth for a conventional and jumbo to be assumable. There might be a rare, very rare circumstance. And I mean, rarest of like 0.001%. 
Then you've got the HUD loans, which are your FHA and your VA loans. And that's where your assumabilities may lie. But again, you got to get real clear because just because HUD says it's okay, the servicer not only has to condone that, but also has to say, listen, I had an assumable note in the package when you originally closed that there was an assumability clause in there. So those things have to go together. And then there's also some other things when it comes to VA that you're probably going to talk about here. Yeah, sure. and, and before we get into that, the other thing is a lot of times the, the debt to income ratio requirements are considerably lower. So you might be able to go uh, to a DTI debt to income ratio of X on a new purchase loan. And on an assumption that that debt to income ratio may be capped considerably lower uh, at a number that uh, maybe they don't qualify at. Mm -hmm. So the debt to income ratio requirements are going to be more stringent than they would be on a new purchase loan. And in the case of a VA loan specifically, in most cases, the new buyer will need to be a veteran, you know, active duty, reservist, surviving spouse, right. um, basically somebody that would be eligible for a VA loan. Now, there may be some servicers that will allow assumption of a VA loan if you are not eligible for a VA loan, but that number of servicers is, is going to be less than probably the ones that say, hey, you have to be a VA-eligible buyer to assume a VA loan. And, and again, the most, most of your assumable loans are going to live in the VA world. So it's important that you understand what's going on in the VA process, that if you're a veteran coming in to assume another veteran's loan, it's going to count against your eligibility. You're going to have restricted debt-to-income ratios on this. And then the final one that you're probably going to talk about here is if there's a difference between what that note is that you're assuming and what the purchase price is being asking. So in this case, let's assume, let's just go ahead and say we're going to have an assumable loan of $300,000, but the property is being sold at $400,000. What happens to that additional equity position, Daniel? Yeah, I would say in, in most cases, if not all cases, the buyer would have to bring the differential between the purchase mm -hmm. price and the loan that's being assumed. I mean, the reality is it's it can be challenging in general to get a second mortgage on a purchase loan right. as it stands. But to think that a, a current servicer is going to want to entertain having to allow for a new second to come behind them uh, on a new purchase on a, on a loan that they're willing to, to to allow to be assumed, and then you've got a you've got to find a lender that's willing to do a second mortgage on a on a property behind an assumable first. Not going to happen. So you're taking pretty much all of the already limited pool of lenders that are willing to do second mortgages, and you're wiping them clear. And then you've also got this added dynamic of now you've got to go back to the seller's existing mortgage company and say, hey, maybe I found a obscure lender out there that right. will offer this, but now I have to make sure that this servicer will accept it. And yeah. and the other thing, just from a broad perspective, when it, when you talk about assumption, you know, the the mortgage market that we live in in the in in, in the USA is predicated on new loans being made. Mm -hmm. So um, that is how most mortgage companies make their money is new originations. And there are there are companies out there that are largely servicing platforms. They don't do much, much if at all in terms of retail originating loans and they simply service. But right. yeah, the reality is as if you're a current servicer, you have an incentive to try to get that customer to, to do a new loan. Uh, and I think if you just understand that from a from a macro level, the the big players in the mortgage market in general don't want all of the loans to be assumed. When a transaction happens, they want a new loan to be made because right. that is what keeps the whole thing going. 
Yo, thank you so much for choosing us today. We're definitely not done with our podcast, but we are going to take a really short sponsor break and then we'll get right back to the show. I've been in the lending business for 20 years. I've seen many different lenders. During those 20 years, I recognized there's a difference between being an originator and an advisor. And the team at Bank of England is full of advisors. They take their time to understand your needs. They take the time to structure a mortgage for you and your family. And I cannot recommend them enough. If you're in the market to purchase a home, maybe it's a second home, maybe it's an investment property, or you're looking to refinance your current property that you live in, take a minute to work with the advisors at Bank of England Mortgage. They're a nationwide lender, and you can find your local branch at boemortgage.com. www.boemortgage.com. Because it's more than loans, it's people. Thanks so much for letting us give a shout out to our sponsor. All right, now back to the podcast. I think another thing that we should talk about is how lenders probably just don't want to do this at, at a risk essential alone. Like they already have risk out there. Why on earth do they want to associate another buyer who they don't have a relationship with? They really haven't underwritten them and say, oh, hey, yeah, take over this loan. In good faith, we think that's going to happen. Like if you, if you break that down, if you're a buyer, there's not a lender on earth that's going to think that's okay. So they're going to do everything they can to resist that. And to your point, that's why the DTI has to be lower. That is also why they're going to want to re-underwrite your credit profile. There's a lot of things that go with that to get through this assumable process. Well, and let's let's talk about that. So if you're a if you're a current servicer, you've got a performing loan. Someone's making their payments on time, which by the way, in order to assume a loan, the current the current owner has to be making the payments on time. But you've got if you're a servicer, you've got a performing loan, and now you're going to just allow someone else to come in and and you're not confident of mm-hmm. their ability to perform on the loan and you didn't get paid what you would normally be paid to originate and and, and service a new loan. So it just adding, I guess, adding to your point, you know, servicers are not necessarily going to be as keen on allowing for assumption. And that's not to say it's not possible. Loans are certainly assumed. You know, I think a lot of times those are family-related situations, financial hardship, death, divorce, you know, some of those things we talked about. But the big takeaway here for for agents that are getting this question, lenders that Mm -hmm. are getting this question a lot, you need to be very careful about what you advertise, especially if you're putting something like this in MLS. You'd be very careful about what you're advertising there because it could ultimately be very misleading to a buyer if they're not able to assume that loan. Um, And the caveats are significant enough that it's really something you need to explore heavily with, with the current servicer before you ever bring this to light or even talk about it in any capacity with a potential buyer. Right. <clears throat> yeah, you want to limit your liability out there. And, and again, I'm glad you cleared up a lot of the assumptions on this. And man, there's a lot of them. I mean, we get a lot of questions about this. Uh, even on the podcast, we get a lot of questions about it. And I'm sure as on, you know, as a lender, you get a plenty of them as well. So let's talk about <clears throat> this inventory conundrum that we're kind of seeing around the country here. We are seeing less transactions, but we're also seeing inventory go down as well. And a lot of that inventory that remains on the market is kind of a term that we call stale inventory. It's been there for a while. Maybe it's cycling every 90 days. 
but it's not getting bought. And it's not getting bought for a couple of reasons. Either it's not what the buyer wants, maybe it's overpriced, but there's more, there's a more likely chance of it it's, doesn't meet the requirements of the buyer. The buyer's going in with an expectation of, you know, I need a three bedroom, not a two bedroom, or I need a four bedroom, not a three bedroom. I need a bonus. I mean, you get the idea. Maybe I don't want a pool. I mean, it, it, in this world, we see a lot of expectations um, being derived by the buyer. I love this program that you're about to talk about that actually helps that inventory conundrum and really treats some of that inventory as an opportunity to be what the buyer wants. Yeah, I mean, if, in, in any market, the seller never wants to do repairs. Right. They never want to do renovations. So I think that that it, oftentimes you're going to be very limited in the number of sellers that would be willing to do something like that. Um, but... Our, our new renovation loan program, which we've talked about before, um, it is, it's a streamlined type of a loan process, essentially, that allows a buyer to, to go in and give, basic, give a basic facelift to a property, you know, new floors, uh, new HVAC, you, uh, most, mostly cosmetic things if you wanted to refresh a bathroom or a kitchen mm-hmm. uh, or if you needed to put a new roof on. This program basically allows them to do that without the normal red tape of a renovation loan in the traditional sense. And, and what I mean by that is traditionally renovation loans require a contractor to be involved to complete right. all of the um, renovations, which th- where that becomes a little bit more challenging is on the front end, the contractor has to, one, submit documents for approval, two, uh, prepare a bid and make sure it's exactly how the lender wants it. And then three, they have to get paid out in draws based on the work that's going to be done. And this renovation loan program is cutting that out. The buyer has the ability to go to two or three stores um, or vendors of their choosing to select what they want to have done. Right. We will roll that into the loan, uh, and the appraisal is done under the assumption that those things are completed, which is standard on a renovation loan as well. But the big thing is you're cutting the contractor out. You are essentially cutting out the draw process. You get half at closing and half when the work's done. And then... For a buyer, you're cutting out a lot of the the fees that sometimes make renovation loans less attractive. Um, and then you're also, um, re- traditional renovation loans can carry a higher interest rate, whereas this program does not. Mm-hmm. So as a buyer, you're basically taking all of the things that you wouldn't like about a renovation loan that a, a lender would generally try to explain to you as a reason to not do a renovation loan. You're taking those things off the table. Right. And now we go back to, if you have a, a a property that maybe there's now there's a negotiation opportunity on that property, uh, maybe this is a scenario where you do negotiate the price down, and you utilize this program to do some of the repairs that you wanted to do, or or I say repairs, or just some basic renovations to make the home more to your liking, right? Uh, and get that home all in at a price that's comparable to maybe what you would have had to pay for it a year and a half ago um, without being able to do any of these things. Yeah, and one of the downsides of renovation lending out here all the time is that it's a higher rate, higher fees. If I just heard you correctly, a lot of the fees are eliminated, if not all of them, and you get the same pricing as if you were just doing a traditional purchase and sell. So there's added benefit here. Plus, the great part about this is you don't have to deal with all the uh, conundrums that come with a traditional renovation loan. You want to buy the product from Lowe's? Buy it from Lowe's. You can't really do that on the renovation side without jumping through hoops. Here, we're going to make it very easy in this scenario. I think it's a wonderful product. And you know, if you think about this, you may not like the home that you're looking at to buy right now if you're a buyer. But traditionally, we talk about all the time how real estate goes up. You're actually making an investment 
you're fixing that up and using the opportunity to go out and further that investment. And then you may sell it or you may turn it to a rental and then go buy the home that you've been wanting when it comes on the market. So you kind of have to look at this as the long play and taking advantage of the current market right now when sellers are willing to cooperate with you, maybe even buy down your interest rate in this product. They could. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and it's just another solution where um, we're trying to help agents and lenders alike write more business, sell more homes, write more business. And you got a buyer that finds a property that they like, but it doesn't maybe check all the boxes. Yes. You know, this is a program that maybe helps to check a couple more of those boxes to get them excited about purchasing that property. Yeah, I just think it's a wonderful opportunity to help with the inventory issue that's out there. So <clears throat> as we start to wrap up, we always end with uh, our rate kind of forecast. And I'm laughing because your, your headline reads, not another rate update. Um, but yeah, there is one. There always is. And in this market that we're in, uh, we do have a rate update. And you know, if you want to kind of dive into that here, but as our market's kind of constricting, we're going to have some rate updates every single month as these new indexes come out. It's just what it is. It is. Yeah, and I, I was putting this together. <laughs> and I was laughing, thinking about you know, 2019, 2020, 2021, what the rate update would be, you know, just <laughs> rates are still low. Uh, <laughs> so there were, there were other things to talk about at that time, but interest rates were the one thing that we, we didn't have to talk about. But I think that, that this inflation, this CPI um, inflation reading that came out um, in January, and we're about to get to the- Yeah, we'll get uh, February's next we're about week. To get, we're about to get in, yeah. you know, in a week, we're going to get what would be January's. So mm -hmm. this this one that we're talking about here reflects December's numbers. But I think that it was super um, encouraging because this is the first month that, uh, in quite some time, that inflation, overall inflation um, in the CPI went down. And- in November, in December, in January, we've talked about the rate updates, and we talked about while still moderate inflation, the overall year-over-year year came down because it was less than it had been. But in this case, inflation actually went down, and there's a lot of factors that, you know, that, that contribute to that. Uh, and that's not to say that inflation readings going forward will all be, uh, will be negative, essentially, but I think that it's representative of Hopefully, the Federal Reserve is looking at this and saying, okay, we feel like we're making some positive moves here. Maybe we don't have to be as aggressive, or maybe we can just stay the path without further rate hikes as we move mm -hmm. forward and see what the long-term impact is on this. Um, so, you know, in, inflation went down from 7.1% to 6.5%. So, it went from 9.1% at the height to 6.5%. <clears throat> and to put in perspective, that height? That was mid-year last year. So we weren't that far ago when we were right. talking about this. So go ahead, continue. And, and the last thing I'll say is if you take the last three readings and you extrapolate them over 12 months and assume that those readings hold over a 12-month period, uh, the annual inflation would be 1.6%. That is not by any means me saying that over the next 12 months we will get to 1.6%. But what I'm saying is the inflation readings that the last three months have reflected are – you know, are moving this much closer to that 2% target that the Federal Reserve wants. Right. So, and, and it's not to say that these things happen in a straight line. I don't anticipate that inflation will go down from 6.5% to 1.6% in a straight line, but it's nice to see that we're trending in the right direction because that's a big part of what is going to drive the real estate market is, is what is happening with interest rates. Yeah, and I think it's real important that it's like, if I'm an agent or I'm a borrower or I'm a lender and I'm listening to this, why in the hell are we talking about CPI so much? And it's not very relatable in conversation. Like from a sales perspective, trying to sell that on the phone or even sell that to a borrower, 
agent trying to sell that to a prospective seller that is looking to move, this is confusing as all get out. Like it takes a world of expertise to do it. But what I'm hearing is this. Between now and June, rates are going to come down because CPI is going to come down because we're replacing metrics that are currently higher. Between now and June. Starting July, it's going to be real challenging to replace some of these lower readings that we've put in there. And there's a chance that we're probably going to have an uptick in CPI, which will probably equate to a slight uptick in interest rates. So what I'm telling my buyers is between now and June, that's our time. That's our time. And our friends at the market distillery have actually showed a forecast that represents that and shows that bottoming out happening in June. And that's when we need to giddy up and buy. That's when you're going to get the best opportunity with your rates. And you're not going to see it, you know, seven and a quarter again on the back half. But if we're playing a game, the first half is the game, we a part of the game that we really have to grind on. That second half may not be as favorable in these readings because you're replacing such a low reading in comparison to what was there to begin with. And that's kind of how I would explain it to someone to get them to understand what we're talking about. And, and practical applications. So if you're somebody in the real estate industry in some capacity that's listening to this, practical application would be, hey, I know on Tuesday of next week, February 14th, mm-hmm. that the next... CPI reading is going to come out. Also, and if that day. number comes out and and it's lower than expected, inflation comes down, interest rates improve. Well, now I can get on the phone with my customers and explain to them that interest rates have come down and try to reengage them and see if we can then maybe get them to an interest rate where it makes sense to do something. So, if you know that this is coming, then you can plan to to reach out to the people that maybe are are on the fence specifically due to interest rates. Whereas if you don't know this is coming, you might find out in three weeks that interest rates came down because there's always a lag in what the news is saying and what's actually happening with interest rates real time. So you might find that information out in three weeks. And uh, as part of the normal ebb and flow with interest rates, maybe interest rates have crept back up a little bit since Mm -hmm. that time. So you, you, if you understand this data, when we're in such a volatile rate market where we can see quarter point to half point swings in the course of a week or two. I mean, you have to understand when the opportunities are coming that might be favorable yeah. for rates and you have to take it. advantage of those things. Yeah. Whereas the environment we were coming out of before, we knew the Federal Reserve was just going to keep interest rates low. We'll keep it suppressed. So yeah. I could so I could quote a rate now and in three months, it's probably within an eighth to there. a quarter of a point yeah. there. But now we have to be much more strategic about when these when these peaks and valleys happen, how do we capitalize when we hit those valleys. So if, that's that's the reason that we're talking about this. And and in line with that same point, the the thing that most people think about when they talk about interest rates is the Federal Reserve hiking, hiking the federal funds rate. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've talked about how that doesn't correlate to, to, to mortgage rates, right. uh, or at least if it does, it's very, very, very loosely. But to illustrate that point, since uh, November, the Federal Reserve has increased the federal funds rate by one and a quarter percent. Um, during that same time frame, mortgage rates basically came down about one and a quarter percent. Right. So that just tells you that the reason that mortgage rates came down is because of the November, December, January CPI readings, which we're right. talking about. And the federal funds rate uh, does not really impact that in any capacity. So you have to understand what's driving interest rates on the mortgage side to be able to better run your business. And that's why we keep putting these in here. And, and I know there's lots of percentages. People look at this, they probably don't care. But, <laughs> oh, but I'm sure they care. They, they, care that interest, they care that interest rates are lower, right. but they need to understand the forces that are, that are impacting that and what's Correct. on the horizon, like you just said, and understand if between now and June is when we expect rates to come down, 
well, hey, that's maybe when you should be trying to, to prospect and sell the majority of your homes. Not to say that if rates go up by another quarter percent that, that you won't be able to sell any homes, but it's going to be a lot easier the lower interest rates are. Yeah, and, and note to self here as we wrap this up, our next episode coming in hot, talking about some of the new agency guidelines that are going to hit in May 1st, which also kind of hit at that time of that June peak I'm talking about. They're not as favorable as we need them to be with some of the overlays they're going to put on the pricing. So you're actually going to see additional rate hikes because of what the agencies, and I mean Fannie and Freddie, are putting on there. And we're going to talk about those, and we got time between now and then, and, and we're definitely going to spend some time on it. But it adds to that point of between now and June, take advantage of these lower rates as that roller coaster starts to come to the bottom here from off the top. So, Daniel, thanks for being on the show. Uh, if you guys like what you hear, Please share this podcast, right-click, share it, text it, uh, rate us, leave a five-star, leave us some commentary, check us out on all of our socials. Uh, we would be glad to hear from you. We're getting a lot of feedback on there. It kind of helps sculpt the, uh, what the topics of conversation that we're bringing on here. So, Daniel, thanks for being on the show. Always great having you on here. You got to leave us that five-star review. Even if you write something mean in the comments, just click five stars. <laughs> thanks. Appreciate <laughs> it. Man, have a good one. Got one more shot, I'm going to make it. One more chance, I'm going to take it. And when I said it, now it's time for me to do it I got one life to live, so I put all into it, yeah